Welcome back to the Beyond Macros podcast. We are the Sustainable Transformation Nutrition Coaches, and our show will help you get leaner, stronger, and perform better in a way that lasts with episodes about nutrition, recovery, and the all-important art of inner work. In today's episode, we wrap up the stories about epic fitness streaks with Brian Casey, who has the 12th longest active running streak in the world, and currently it's the 16th longest in recorded history. What constitutes a running streak, you might be wondering? It's a minimum, a minimum distance for the USRSA. That's their, it's, it's called one mile unaided. I probably should stay tuned to this. No canes, no walkers, no wheelchairs. So it's one mile, right? Yeah. My minimum that I've always lived by is three miles. So that's what I, like today was 3.4, very down day after last night. So very mellow day. That's my minimum. Yeah. Um, but it is one mile for the USRSA. That's, that's correct. Before we dive in, In case you would like to start your own streak, make sure you download the Calorie and Macro Calculator Worksheet at beyondmacros.com slash worksheet as a starting point. When you do, we'll give you the opportunity to choose your goals and learning objectives, and then we're going to email you some content based off of that that is specific to your needs. Included in what we're going to send out is going to be a streak behavior planning worksheet, which you'll get just a few days after you download the Macro Calculator. And if you're struggling with consistency and accountability, just a gentle reminder that we are nutrition coaches and we have both one-on-one and online coaching options that are great starting points for getting the accountability you need. You can learn all about our online coaching at beyondmacros.com slash coaching or set up a call to learn about one-on-one coaching anytime at beyondmacros.com slash initial call. Brian has run every day since May 9th, 1977 but he doesn't have a background in running and he didn't start this streak on purpose either. Like our last two guests, it took him about 30 years to realize that he was onto something. The story about how this 41 and a half year running streak began starts at Seton hall university where Brian met my father. And I'll tell you exactly where I met him. It was Cameron field and they had all the players, uh, you know, I guess they all mix this in one bag. I mean, I was on no scholarship. I just, you know, I figured tryouts, let me go make the team like it was in high school, not knowing anything about college baseball. They put all of us at deep shortstop, very deep, and they wanted us to make the long throw to see who had a good arm. I said, good. This is something I'm good at. It's not fair, not speed related, you know, not too much power, but I can throw. I can throw accurate. So, you know, a bunch of kids went, I can throw good. So I go and I throw, you know, good, good throw. I turn around and Chris had a Gates Chilei, uh jersey on. And he usually go, whoosh. And I said, oh, that's how they throw in college. And, and then I knew my days were numbered. I, I, I could camouflage it so long, but I said, oh, that's how the scholarship kids throw. I said, all right, we're good to go. But that's how I met your dad for 46 years ago. Finding the baseball team and then deciding not to pursue playing after freshman year were two events that catalyzed this legendary running streak. For some reason, she, uh, Coach Shepard um, had a Marine mentality where, you know, Harder, longer, faster is better. And part of that was running a mile or a mile point two exactly to um, to get into the batting cage. They called it the loop. You had to do a loop under a certain amount of time. I don't remember what it was. But um, – and at the time, I didn't know. Okay, you have to run a, a loop. We'll do it. And uh, I, I don't know how that related to baseball at all, all these years later. But I got used to doing it. And, I, and you know, I, I – I, it kept me in good shape, and um, and that's how I started really with the baseball team, uh, you know, and um, 
when senior year ended, uh, sorry, freshman year ended, we're about to go home. My friend AJ and I, we met at the gym and shook hands goodbye. And I said, AJ, how about one loop for old time's sake? And it was on May 9th, 1977. He was really? And I could talk AJ into anything. He's such a good guy. I could talk him into like right now, AJ, there's enough light in the park. I want to throw a little horror. Yeah, come on, let's go. So I taught him to running a loop. I'm not even sure if he had sneakers on. We were at his Volkswagen, light blue Volkswagen. And um, we ran a loop on May 9th, 1977. And that was the start of... Now, why I went on May 10th, why I ran again, I'm not sure. Like, I can never reconcile that. Like, why did I wake up the next day and do it? But I did. And then it just was like a rock rolling downhill. And it just, uh, you know, just kept going. But after talking to Brian a little bit more, I started to get the picture that he tied his shoes and ran on May 10th because he just wanted to see what he was capable of doing. It felt good. You know, it felt good working out, pressing myself, um, going a little bit further. Like, you know, it was 1.2. When I got home, I found a course that was 1.2. I timed it. You know, I, I logged it out. And um, but then I said, hey, maybe I can do 1.6. Maybe I can do the hill and make it a, a you know, a, a two mile round trip. And and it kind of progressed from there. And um, I look back on it now and you can look at it two ways. Right. I, I can be hostage to my running streak. Right. Where I have to do it tomorrow or. I could say, you know, I just, I just want to, I just want to keep doing it. I also found it quite interesting that because Brian always played sports after school, once he stopped playing baseball after his freshman year in college, his body was so habitually energetic at that 3.30-ish time that it provided him some extra oomph to keep things going. I have a feeling it, it happened quick. It happened before I knew it. So I, I bet it happened when I was still in college. Because I would do it before, like I'd go to class, come back, run, and then study like that. So I think it just became that time of day, you know, it was, and I'd run at about 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And that was the time for all my life, whether it was high school, grade school, whatever it was, into early part of college, that's when I was on the sport field doing something. And it was a habit that – and I, I used that energy level and – I'd work out at 2.30 in the afternoon. Now, when I got a job, I changed that. But you're right. It's easier just to do it. There's no thought involved. There's more thought into not doing it. And there's more thought into – and it even happens like when I can sleep in on a day off, right? I'll get up. I'll, I'll say I can sleep another hour. I'm saying, oh, you know, I have energy now. Don't waste that energy sleeping, trying to go back to sleep. Yeah. It's easy to just go out and do it and it'll be done. And in nine times out of ten, it's the best move to make. Just use that energy to yeah. go, you know? So – it's, that's an interesting question. I, I think it happens for soon. I think it happens fairly soon um, after you start. I don't think it's a long. Pro, I don't think it's a long process. And about thirty-two years in, Brian discovered something big. You know, there were a couple of benchmarks. Never really like how do I compare to the rest of the world, <laughs> right? But like my friend Asia would come down on every anniversary, like in the beginning before families and stuff. Every every May 9th, we'd run together. It was like a kind of a thing. And Asia was right here in Connecticut at the time, a little bit closer. And um, so we'd run together. Uh, you run our tenth anniversary, fifteenth, twentieth, and then uh, you know families came involved. And once that happens, you're so busy, you're not thinking about anything else except raising your family, sending them to school, coaching their little league, whatever it is. And um, those years just got melted on top of it. So all of a sudden, I'm there with 28 years or 30 years. And somebody at the town pool once said to me, he said, you know, Case, I saw something where there's a running streak association. You should look at this. I think you're, you should be in there somewhere. And I looked it up and sure enough, I think I started out when I first joined 
um, I was like number 32, yeah. you know, and, um, but it's just kind of a fun thing. Like every now and then uh, I'll go and look on it and see where I am and see if anybody's, everybody's moved out. But, um, that's kind of the fun part of it. As you can imagine with all of the streaks we've heard about, there were definitely some challenges to keeping things going during a 41 and a half year period. Knock on wood injuries have been, have been few. Right. But I, I did play, you know, baseball after college a little bit. And, um, you know, I had some sprains. I ran through some sprains, but I could deal with that. I think the hardest ever was I had a really bad case of sciatica. And man, you know, and I've ever since that episode, I've really taken care of my sneakers and not pronate. You know, I, I make sure my sneakers are, are fresh and new every so often. But um, yeah, I could not. My wife now was my fiance then back in 1984. And she came up and had to tie my sneakers for me to run. She had to put. I, she had to put my sneakers on my feet. I couldn't. And then I went and I got a muscle relaxer, and finally, you know, they gave. But I mean, the sciatica was to the point where I couldn't. I basically couldn't move. That was probably the hardest. And and then there's you know the days that are 102 degrees. I get that, or the snow. You know, 20 years ago we had that blizzard, 36 inches. The kids still have a. They have a VHS tape of me rolling across the front lawn because there's no rolling to like get to the street where there's only like a 12 inches high, you know, and they all got a kick out of that. Oh, it was a fun run. That was fun. And it, the funny part of that was like, it was state of emergency, everybody off the road. So I get up on the main road, you know, where I usually run, there's nobody on the road. So I'm basically right in the middle of the, of the road, two lane road. And I hear, oh, you cannot be on the streets. There's a police car, you know, all on this bullhorn parked in a high school parking lot basically escorting me home, you know? So I said, I can't stop because I need three miles. Can you go around the block once with me like this? But uh, that was, that was interesting too. You know, that really was. Over the last almost 42 years, Brian's runs have run the gamut from a quick mile in the neighborhood on the days his kids and grandkids were due to be born to this epic story he has about a 60 plus mile run he pulled off in a 12 hour period on a bet. Like many of my dumbest decisions, I made this in, in a bar bet in Belmar, New Jersey. Before the Belmar, you know it now. They're all amped up, you know, new age Belmar. This is back in the five beers for a dollar DJ's Belmar. 1982. Bunch of us sitting around a bar. Much like the the bet we had at Seton Hall that we'd have a, a, a five, uh, what do you call five, tri, not triathlon, a pentathlon, whatever it was. But a drunken bet in a bar and one of my friends, I said to one of my buddies, I think I could run here from home, meaning up here. Actually, North Arlington with my wife, my fiance. I think I can run to Belmar from here. I said, what? I said, yeah, I think I can run from here, from north here to Belmar. There's no way. There's no possible way you can do that. It's 62 miles, something like that. So I think I can do it. And they said, all right, I'll tell you what. They said, if you, tell you, if you can do that, we'll buy any time you're in a bar for the rest of the summer, you're on us on our tab. I said, really? I said, so I, I wound up running from North Arlington down to Belmar. All through one in, you know, from her house over into Newark, past the Budweiser, on Route 35, one in nine, onto 35, through Middletown, the shop right in Middletown, by the way, that hill going up, that almost killed me. Um, <laughs> but I made, and the deal was I had to make it under 12 hours. Yeah. That, was the, that was the deal. And uh, I made like 11 and a half hours. And they came out to check on me, those cheap, those cheap bums. They came out in a car up like by Sayreville, and they wanted to be sure I was doing this and not getting a ride. It was, they don't trust me for nothing. Although I do have a few ways of, I used to sometimes like, you know, push the envelope, but they came out and checked on me. But I, I, I pulled in at a, a, a half an hour to spare, 
And uh, that was my longest run. I marked it as 68 miles. I think it might have been a little bit longer because when one and nine hooks on the 35, I went the wrong way for like a mile. Yeah. But that's I wear that. I own that. Yeah. I'm not going to add that to my mileage. <laughs> so that was it. Was, it was um, June of 1983. Brian described his favorite run as being during the Falmouth Road Race in Cape Cod. He also loves to run on vacation, but the vast majority of his runs are in the same few places. I cut my teeth on the loop because it was up the side, the side of the school, back past the baseball field, around the gym, back down to a side street and back down South Orange Avenue. So I lived on the loop for a couple of years, but I, I you know, then I expanded out distance wise, you know, um, and to the point where, you know, when I was down there, I was running a 10 mile a 10 mile square, like this Wyoming Avenue square through Milburn and back around. But that was, you know, so I had a few different uh, courses and that's what I really have here in town. I have like three or four courses aside from the track, obviously, but you know, I have a course when I just need to get it done. It's fast. It's flat. I get it done. I have a hilly course, which is about 4.2 miles. And, and quite honestly, the 4.2 miles at the courses, I'm not running as much as the 3.4s or 3.2s just because time and, and I swim a lot more now. I swim like six or seven miles a week. Okay. Yeah. So I really enjoyed that. I'm trying to take some of the pressure off my legs. Um, but I have like five or six courses that I run in my town here on a daily bit, you know, mix them up. And as much as Brian loves running, he did tell me about the monotony that it has at times. You know, a lot of it though is when you're running every day and the streak is just, it, there is there is monotony to, to kind of deal with. I, I got to be honest with you. It's not, you know, there's nobody out cheering for you. This isn't New York City Marathon. Is you know, there's the paper guy throwing a paper at my head. And, and the thing about it, he does a loop, right? So the guy, he'll see me on one side of the, the and he'll be throwing a paper and miss me twice. Then on the other side, same guy, same runner, and he, and he misses me twice again. Like how many times are you going to throw the newspaper at me? And I wear a reflector vest. Yeah. You know, it's not like I'm trying to hide. So, um yeah, those, that's Miguel in the, uh, throwing a newspaper at me. Just like David Robinson last week, Brian mentions that one of the keys to the streak is to get it done first thing. I might have skipped my morning run and done a lunchtime run at work. I can do that. I can, you know, um, but for the most part, 98% of the time I'm running in the morning. Is it just, I need that, you know, I need the whole thing. Just like brushing my teeth, I need to run. I need to get that kind of the cobwebs out. And so it's really not, you know, it's almost like not an option to me. I run right away because then the rest of the day, they can't take it away from me. They can't go back and where if I wait till the night, anything can happen. Now, I know the important question that everybody has been wondering is, what shoes does Brian wear? After much trial and error, he wears Nikes, which is funny because he told me that when it comes to running, he's just told himself every morning for 42 years, just do it. I change sneakers probably every six weeks, yeah. to be honest with you. It's expensive, and Nike gives you no break, so uh, they're brutal. Um, but I, 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 every six weeks, I'm pretty much – so it's, you know, it's, it's eight – Eight to nine, uh, eight to nine pairs a year, and I track that too. How many days I've, you know, how many days in the winter? I believe it or not, I get a little bit longer run. I don't know why it's the rubber and it's not hot out or something. But in the winter, I get a couple more days each. So, but yeah, I track a lot of stuff. Yeah. I have an Excel spreadsheet that has my commute to work. It has my how far I've swam, how far I've run. I, I do these rolls, these these well, I don't know ab carb ab carb rolls, you know, with the ball or whatever. So I track almost everything I do. I track. Yeah. <laughs> I learned a lot from my conversation with Brian and his Sunday ritual is one of my favorite parts of this story. 
I run every Sunday at the high school track to see how less slower, how more slower I've gotten. And, and one of my th- one of my things is to get this. My, my little quote is: I want to get slower, slower. Yeah. You know, I'm just trying to hold off, uh, but I do. And and basically, what I, in the morning when I run, it's always dark out, and I like to run from streetlight to streetlight. The last mile, like every other one, as hard as I can, does not mean it's fast, but it's as hard as I can, you know. And some mornings I'm saying to myself, you're tired, you still have a long day ahead of you, why are you doing this? But if I do one of them, I'm ready to do another one, and then finally I'm home. But yes, I I do have little little things that I'll I'll challenge myself, Uh, and sometimes I'll get into a... Like I'll, I'll think about, you know, what's coming up, but it is a good place to clear your mind. It really is. The idea that he wants to get worse slower is an amazing concept. I actually have fears about the days when my body no longer wants to progress and how to stay motivated when that occurs. And this story actually smothered that fear for me. There is still pleasure to be taken in slowing down the decline that your body will naturally have. And I think Brian is actually driven to continue his streak by this fear of what he calls fading to gray. But it's fun. It's, it's kept me in relatively healthy, you know, and, um, you know, that's as you get older. And I've seen a lot of, you know, there are a lot of people that just kind of quit. That's just kind of say, you know what, I'm on the couch. And I, and that's what I mean, turn, fading to gray. It's like, come on, let's do something. Let's, even if it's just go see a concert, let's just yeah. go out and get, um, but, um, you know, that, that's my, that's my biggest fear in life is the fading to gray. Yeah. So like my daughter says, well, dad, you got to fade something, you know, but just, but I want to do it slowly as slow as I possibly can. And I'd be doing Brian a disservice if I didn't mention the one person he could not have maintained this streak without. My wife is a big sport fan, very competitive, and, you know, um, that's why our boys love sports so much. But, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do it with anybody else, I don't think, because, I mean, if you if you add up the amount of wash she had to do extra just for my running streak, there's probably, I don't know how many extra washing machines we went through, you know, because I have my own hamper, which is out in the garage, by the way. Yeah. It doesn't come until it's ready to go into the, <laughs> into the hot water and get all done, you know? I hope you enjoyed this episode with Brian Casey. If you did, please share it with someone you think will be inspired by it or just enjoy the story. You can hit that little box with an arrow shooting out of it on your podcast player. That's the share button. And you can use it to message or email this episode directly to that person who you think will benefit from it now. Or if you don't have anybody in mind, snap a screenshot of your podcast player and add it to social media with your thoughts, tag us, and we'll give you a shout out to say thanks for listening. You can also download our calorie and macro calculator worksheet at beyondmacros.com slash worksheet. And one of the first emails you will get is something to help you plan out the behavior that is going to have the biggest impact on your nutrition that you can create a streak with. Before we wrap up, I just want to give a shout out to my mom and dad, AJ and his wife, Janine, Don McGee and his wife, Kathy, J.R. Waite and his wife, Maggie, Brian Casey and his wife, Kathy, because they're all going to listen to this together, which is super cool because all the men I just mentioned met at Seton Hall and were best friends. Brian has made an effort to consistently get them all together over the years, and I just think that's so cool. We all need a friend like Brian. So thanks for listening, and I look forward to seeing you again next week for an episode with Andy Petranik of the Whole Life Challenge, where we'll talk about the lessons he's learned about engineering streak-worthy habits. I'll see you then.